Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his article, Virtue Ethics as a Resource in Business, Robert Audi is going to examine something that, that's a really central worry that people have when they're bringing in virtue ethics perspectives into really any context of ethics, but particularly business ethics. And he asserts quite plausibly that virtue ethics provides raw material and at least a partial basis for comprehensive ethical theory with applications in business as elsewhere, and that's quite true. And, and the more that we research robust virtue theories like studying Aristotle or Thomas Aquinas or the Stoics or even contemporary authors such as those he mentions in his article like Alistair McIntyre or Julia Annas, we find that virtue ethics does in fact provide us with a robust set of concepts that does allow a comprehensive theory. But the questions are, is this comprehensive theory really useful in business? And there's two questions being considered here, one of which he frames right after making that point. Can virtue ethics provide a standard for virtue in business as opposed to just in general? Is it directly applicable as virtue theory in business? And then can it provide standards for right action in business. This is one of the worries that a lot of people have about virtue ethics. It'll say, you know, you should be a just person or a generous person or a diligent person. But then what does that mean when we get down to the nitty gritty of the day-to-day -day decisions that we actually have to make? Do we have criteria that tell us what a person like this would be? And Audi pauses here for a moment to make an important point about Aristotle. And I think you can say this about other virtue ethics as well. Aristotle Aristotle is going to take character traits as being fundamental, ethically more basic than actions themselves in ethical decision making. So Aristotle could be understood as saying, be virtuous in this way, in this way, in this way, and then the actions will follow from that. But how does that get us the actions that we need? There's another wrinkle as well. He says, Aristotle understood the virtues in the context of his theory of the good for human beings. This good is happiness or flourishing, eudaimonia, right? It's not a passive state, but requires a life in which actions and activities that involve reason are central and the human good is activity in accord with excellence. So far, so good. This sounds Sounds pretty good, but this doesn't actually resolve our concerns. So one way that he does address that is by making a distinction between what he calls comprehensive and role-specific virtues. And here, it's actually worth dwelling on something that he doesn't bring up. There's a tendency in early virtue ethics when, for example, when Socrates is asking people about what virtue is, they bring up a whole bunch of role-specific virtues, and Socrates will dismiss that and say, no, no, we want the really general thing. And Audi is, is actually saying, well, we actually want both, particularly when we're dealing with applied ethics, because those role-specific virtues play a really important role in applied ethics, and so we have to acknowledge them. So 
what is a comprehensive virtue? A comprehensive virtue is, as he says, a virtue that it impacts virtually everything that we do. And this would be tied to his notion of fields. Some fields cover our entire life. So honesty is a great example. He says it impacts virtually everything that we do, certainly all of our social interactions. And you could say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't, it doesn't affect all of my social interactions because I'm honest most of the time. Well, then it impacted it, right? It's not just when you violate a virtue that it impacts it. It's when you're doing the right thing that it impacts it. If you're honest all the time, well, that's your entire life, right? If you're always diligent, if you're conscientious, if you're a good person in terms of managing your emotions, well, those are comprehensive. Role-specific, he says, these are virtues that affect our activities in a specific role. So it could, in fact, be the case that depending on what our role is, we need different virtues. So an entrepreneur may, in fact, need courage to a different extent or in different ways than a employee working on the factory floor, right? The person who is the idea generator may not need as much diligence as the person who actually has to do checking of the products. And we could go on and on. He gives some good examples here. He says that a role-specific virtue such as leadership may affect only our activities in a specific role, in this case, one in which we have authority. So the comprehensive virtues are needed by all of us and he also says they constrain the way role-specific virtues operate. Role-specific virtues are ethically essential for those in the specific roles, but may be beneficial to others. And so he, he gives some examples here about like consistency. Managerial roles, these call for the virtue of consistency, particularly in behavior. Managers must be seen not only as exhibiting justice, which is a comprehensive virtue, but also reliably consistent in policy. And there could be some cases where, you know, violating policy could actually produce a more just result. But in most cases, you need to actually follow the policies. If you're going to change them, there needs to be some sort of warning that changes are taking place. Or you've got to make a case for why this is such an exception, right? So this is a useful distinction. And this addresses the issue of, well, can it provide a standard for virtue in business? The answer is yes. Here's a more thorny question. Can we provide standards for right action in business? And if we're looking at virtue ethics in just a textbook form, the answer is no, but that's not real virtue ethics. The summaries that are provided in textbooks are usually sorely lacking. If you want to understand a real virtue ethics, you need to read real virtue ethics texts, and those are usually long, complex, and, and quite robust. It's a rewarding thing to do, however. So we can ask, how does virtue ethics determine or evaluate actions that people are doing, saying they're the right thing or the wrong thing. How do they say this action is a good action or a bad action? And virtue and vice, the opposite of virtue, these are key criteria. So he talks about, we might appeal to practical wisdom. A person of practical wisdom is a paradigm of one having virtue. And Aristotle actually brings this up, saying that a person uses a kind of procedure, finding the mean between an excess and deficiency. And so Audi gives the example of beneficence 
beneficence. He says, if relative to my resources, I'm selfish and ignore others' needs, this is a deficiency. If today I contribute so much to charity, I'm prevented from doing much greater good through contributing gradually, I'm excessive. Good ethical decisions may be seen in the light of these comparisons. And so prudence or practical wisdom would help us with this. He also considers maybe we could use something like an instrumental rationality approach of cost-benefit analyses. That could be prudential, couldn't it? And he says, well, yes and no. In fact, Audi has a great article where he discusses the scope of cost-benefit analyses within virtue ethics, but they can't actually be made central to it. He says, instrumental success counts positively towards at least the virtue of prudence and failure to avoid what is painful towards folly, but this is not the whole of virtue and we have to be kind of careful with this. But it's an interesting thing to consider. It does have some role. He also, outside of this particular section of the article, will talk about role models. Some people say, well, the way to be virtuous is just be like these people over here. And so you find a lot of books being published with biographies of important people who exemplify business virtues, right? And that's nice, but it doesn't really tell you what to do when you get into situations that they didn't run into. Unless you actually understand what the virtue is, you're going to have some problems. So Andrew Carnegie, who it was vicious in some ways, could also be seen as virtuous in terms of his beneficence, right? But what would Andrew Carnegie do in terms of supporting grants for artists who are people of color and have been discriminated against? I don't know that Andrew Carnegie's life would tell us anything about that, right? That's not that helpful to rely solely on role models. In fact, that's usually a recipe for getting things wrong. Finally, we have actual criteria. Again, if you look at robust virtue ethics like that of Aristotle or the Stoics or others, you will find that they do in fact specify criteria for right action. And as Audi says, these can provide either necessary conditions or sufficient conditions or conditions that are both necessary and sufficient for right action. Right action can be equivalent to action in conformity with virtue and acting rightly can be equivalent to virtuous action. So what we do is we look at the treatments of the virtues, the discussions of them, whether they're ancient or medieval or contemporary, and we say, all right, what does it really mean to be generous? What does it really mean to be loyal? What does it really mean to be honest? And we can specify considerably what these sorts of virtues would require of us without descending to the level of rigid rules that are always held to, to be binding. We can come up with some rules of thumb. And we can use things like Aristotle's doctrine of the mean to specify these. So we do, in fact, have standards for right action in business, at least for action that would be in accordance with the virtues, doing what the virtues demand. Not necessarily what a virtuous person themselves actually does because the motivation is lacking there, but at least doing what the virtuous person does in mimicking or following along the lines of their, their actions. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.